Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. I'm Brittany. And we are your hosts for the evening. We have a special guest with us here today She's not really for our that Halloween special. episode. Well, we said that Listen, last time. punk. <laughs> I'm gonna rumble. I'm gonna add. I'm gonna add your murder to the fourth carnival of That's crime. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready to go. It's fine. It'll be a, a very meta show. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we have my sister. She was with us back on our hee haw gang episode if you listen to that one we are not recording in person which is probably for the best for my editing sanity (laughs) (laughs) but we are recording together for this one because we found out about these crimes while we were down in atlanta visiting her we did a cemetery tour of oakland cemetery and we heard about a bunch of different cases but one that really stuck out to us was called atlanta's black week if you Google that, you're not going to find any of this information. It's <laughs> <laughs> like it's referred to a couple different things. It's like Carnival of Crimes. Um, I saw Atlanta's Dark Week was another one. And it wasn't actually even a week of crimes. It was a month long. <laughs> so I don't know why they said Black Week. A Carnival of Crimes, though, it sounds so like, oh, that's such a good title. It's more intriguing, I would think. Because, like, Black Week, like, that just sounds like a celebration of, like, black culture or something. Yeah, it sounds like, like, a, like something, you, a sorority event or something like that. That's what Chris or... thought it was. He was like, what? <laughs> he was like, I already told you about this. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll just go ahead and get started. Um, will there's we? a couple different things. Yeah, will we? Yeah, we will. There's a couple different crimes that happened in this month-long span. We're only going to talk about three of the big ones, but... Just know that there is more that happened in this span. It was just a very unfortunate time in the city of Atlanta. So we're going to go ahead and get started. So the year is 1893. We are in Atlanta, Georgia. Everything started on January 24th, and this went all the way to February 25th. So even though it was a month long, it was dubbed Black Week. So take that how you will. Um It was essentially a series of distressing events, including forbidden love, embezzlement, and murder. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yes, murder. (laughs) So this Black Week period started on January 24th, 1893. Around three in the afternoon, a man and a woman entered the Metropolitan Hotel at 99 and a half Prior Street Southwest in Atlanta. I don't know why it's 99 and a half. Like, that. Is Metropolitan they... the the drink? No, that's a Cosmopolitan. Well, they do. I think they do also have a Metropolitan, but I could be wrong. Uh, okay, anyway. I, th- I think you might be wrong. Yeah, it's very possible I am you, wrong in this you, instance. Well, I mean, I only go out slightly more than you. Like we're both nerds, so I I've don't, only, I don't know if <laughs> I've only been legal to drink for like two years. I don't. Yeah, know. so <laughs> it, it is what it is. Wait, anyway. you got you got shot before you were able to drink? Yeah, because yeah. what. <laughs> What I said as soon as I got shot was, I'm not even 21 yet. What kind of sick joke is this? Oh, no. Yeah, you couldn't even, like, numb it with alcohol. I was so mad. <laughs> oh, Lord. There are many things to be mad about there, but, yeah, not being able to drink when you got shot. I was shot like, was what kind of sick joke is this? I got, like, six months left. <laughs> Okay, so this hotel was on the corner of Pryor and Alabama Streets, and to my knowledge, it's no longer there. I think it's just, like, an empty building, because I was doing the Google, like, street view and, like, looking in that area, but I didn't see anything. So 
a man who appeared to be about 30 years old, who was, quote, well-dressed, of a swarthy countenance and a foreign birth, unquote, and a woman. Oh, that means he's a foreigner. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, so I was like, what is she saying ew about? Is he a foreigner? I didn't like the way that she described it. (laughs) That's how it was described in the article I read. (laughs) So sorry. It's okay. And he was with a woman who was about 18 years old, and she was, quote, clad... Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it's only like six years, so it's not as bad as some of the other ones. No, she was saying "ooh" because it was a teenager, and they're disgusting. I mean, you're you're not wrong. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong. He was quote clad in a stylish t- tan cloak and a dark dress with a jaunty little traveling cap, a profusion of dark hair, a beautiful face animated by a pair of steel blue eyes and a soft creamy skin that could belong to none but an Italian maiden of the higher class, unquote. That is a quote from a newspaper article, and I just want to point out she was not Italian. She was German. Anyway. <laughs> How do you mess that up? <laughs> I mean, to be there, fair, they didn't have Google, so yeah. they couldn't like look things up to verify. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't look um, her up on Facebook. So they checked into the hotel as, quote, Umberto Piantini and wife, unquote. <laughs> wife. And the, yes, and wife. Like, no name, just wife. <laughs> and the man asked to be notified in time to catch the central rail for Savannah at 6.50 the following morning. Shortly before 6 p.m., two gunshots could be heard coming from room 29 on the third floor of the hotel. So a black servant who worked at the hotel ran a block down to the police station to report the gunshots and Coleman Beavers and Patrolman Jordan were the ones to respond to the incident. So about three minutes later, police broke down the door and they found the pair clasped in each other's arms on one of the two beds in the room. On the floor beside the bed, the bulldog revolver was still smoking. So like I said, this happened all pretty much in quick succession. It was 24-year-old Umberto Piantini who was shot in the right side of his head, a little below his ear, and 16-year-old Salida... M- I don't know how to pronounce this. I think it's... Moogie? I don't know. <laughs> it's... Okay, listen. It is spelled M-U-E-G-G-E. So I don't know how that's pronounced. What the I, like, m- m- Muga? I don't know. Yeah, probably. Especially Man, if she's German. <laughs> Especially <laughs> if she's German. Like, I, it's it's probably something I'm not... Like, probably I can't like, think of. Muga! <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll go with that. Uh, she had been shot in the left side of her head, almost directly in her ear. Ouch. It is believed that Umberto had been the one to fire the shots, first on her and then on himself, while he held Salida in his arms. The officers initially thought there might have been a murderer in the room, like they thought they were shot by an assassin or something. But then, upon inspecting the what they thought were dead bodies, they realized that they were both still alive. Um, I so forgot officers- they were still alive. Yeah. So Officer Beavers asked for Umberto's name, and he couldn't speak, so he just pointed to the table where they found two letters that were left on the table right near the bed with a note asking for them to deliver these notes to their parents. So the first one was for his father, Frank Piantini. It says... January 24th, 1893. In this moment that we write, we are happy. In an hour and a half, we will be dead. We will be no more in the land of the living. We believe that we will be united after death as we are now united in life. Please bury us in the same coffin. This is our last request. Bury us in Oakland Cemetery and plant ivy on our grave. Salida and Umberto. And then for Umberto's mother-in-law, it said, quote, Accept my last regards for one hour from now, I will be dead. It seems to me that it was wrong for me to take $2 a day. 
my dear aunt. It has almost run me crazy after I had pawned my jewelry. I didn't have enough. One kiss from my heart and goodbye, Umberto, unquote. I don't know what that one was in reference to. I'm assuming $2 a day was like his salary or something at the time. But or he stole it. Also possible. So there were also reports of another note being found, but I only saw this in one place, but I'll go ahead and read it. It's very similar to the other ones, but it's a quote, Mr. F. Piantini, which is referring to Frank, who lives at 400 South Prior Street, is my father. He is also the stepfather of the girl I will soon kill. I am a married man, but have ceased to love my wife. I do love my stepsister, Miss Murger. We intended to take our lives last night and did not do so. By appointment, we met at the corner of Alabama and Prior Streets this afternoon. Immediately it would afterwards, be Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah. No, I, this might get real awkward, but I've always been like, look, step siblings don't count. And I know people think that's gross, but I'm like, when I watch Clueless, I always defend Cher and Josh because I'm like. To, to be fair, to be fair, they, the parents got divorced and it's not like they grew up together. So they weren't actively step siblings at the time. Right, but what? What? But the whole reason that I mean, see, I'm, everybody's gonna be like, your sister is all about incest. But they're like, no, I'm like, the whole reason incest is gross is because you're biologically related, and you're gonna have like little weird like kids with three arms. But like, if you aren't biologically related, well, I think part of it is that like, if you were raised together, then it's like you're essentially siblings. What's the difference between that and like being raised with like your mom's best friend's kid, and you're like, we grew up together, and then we got married. And it was cute and romantic. I couldn't tell you. Well, yeah, because you're a hypocrite. I, they, I guess they didn't don't say anything. Le- live in the same house. <laughs> yeah. Let step siblings bone. Oh, do I- you guys remember that show? Um, Living Life with Derek. Yeah, no. yeah. Life with Derek. Yeah, I remember that because they were step siblings and they yeah, had like and they this had weird cancel. sexual chemistry. They had to cancel <laughs> like, the show because <laughs> the chemistry yeah. that they gave the characters. <laughs> it was really awkward. Like I remember that show. Basically. I'm not gonna lie, I shipped them. Uh, same. Okay. Was it was it like a Disney show or something? Yeah, <laughs> it was a Disney show, and they ended up canceling it because of um, the sexual tension. I I, be- I believe it was a Canadian show. If I so that might have something to do with it too. But yeah, I'm insulting uh, Canadians. They're like, Ew, Canadians. <laughs> Okay, so back to the note. Immediately afterwards, we came to this hotel and registered as man and wife. Circumstances were such that the girl I love and I could not be together on earth as I have a wife and the girl, furthermore, is my stepsister. So we concluded if we could not be together on earth, we could be in heaven. And as we can possibly be there in about an hour, we have decided to go there where no laws nor custom will compel us to live apart as on this earth we are obliged to do. Umberto Piantini, unquote. So that kind of... I mean, that that was shocking to people because not only did these two murder, not murder, it was a murder-suicide, essentially, except neither of them are dead at the moment. <laughs> it was an attempted murder-suicide. But turns out they're also step-siblings, so that's that shocked people. Medical attention was brought in quickly, and later on that same day, Salida was taken to her parents' home, which doesn't really make sense to me. Like, she got shot in the head. I think she needs more than just, like, very little medical attention. Wait, you said um, they, they took her to where? Her parents' home? Yes, to her parents' what? house. Like, for some, like, hot, some soup and some <laughs> TLC? I guess. Like... It just said that they had taken her to her parents' home, and then they took Umberto to Grady Hospital. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you got it halfway right. 
Yeah, like, I mean, it, okay, anyway. Listen, um, so, in the 1800s, they didn't believe women were people. Apparently. So they don't get hospitals. <laughs> I mean, she was fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, she was shot in the head. I don't know if she was fine. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Okay, so as Salida was being taken out of the hotel, she was described as having been raving madly, begging not to be taken away from her lover and also not to tell her mother what had happened. (laughs) Because I guess she had left earlier that day under the guise of going shopping. Was she, uh, did they they think she was going to go back? I mean... She's like, I'll tell my mom. I'll be back later. <laughs> I, I guess. I don't, I don't know. So Umberto was taken to Grady Hospital. 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 <laughs> he was unable to swallow or talk except in whispers and with great difficulty because I guess they said that the bullet had passed through his mouth and out that way because Ouch. he had shot like into the side. So it made the inside of his mouth too tender for him to really like eat or do anything. So his wife actually went to go see him while he was in the hospital on the 27th. I saw in an article. I hope she left him. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really matter. Does it? <laughs> At this point, it's just like she stayed for about an hour holding his hand. And this is the first time she'd actually seen him since the day that like he shot himself. Because I guess she had, he had said goodbye to her earlier that afternoon before going to find uh, going to meet Salida. And it appears that she forgave him. And then he died four days after shooting himself on the 28th of January. So literally the day after she went to visit, he died. So like I said, doesn't matter. (laughs) However, Salida survived. She survived the shooting. Good for her. So it's believed Umberto's hand may have been shaking, which prevented the bullet from hitting anything life-threatening, like when he shot her. And her recovery was slow. And one, one article said, quote, even now traces of her terrible experience can be seen in her wan face, unquote. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but I mean, I imagine she was traumatized from it at the very least. So a little bit of background on like... Umberto and Salida, because I did find some information mostly about Umberto. I saw that he was either 24 or 26. Most of them said 24, so I'm going to say 24. He was described as a handsome Italian with jet black hair and a mustache, and he had a strikingly handsome face. But they also said that about H.H. Holmes, so I don't know if I can believe anybody when they say that. He was born in Italy and immigrated with his father, Frank, to Toms River, New Jersey. And then they moved to Atlanta, Georgia sometime around 1887. I can't, like, I couldn't find specifically when they actually moved. He worked with his father at Piantini and Son, where they made, quote, mantles, artistic furniture, and inside finish, unquote. So he was a sculptor and a woodworker. They said artist in some articles, but that's essentially the same thing. And I found an old Atlanta City directory that said that the shop that they had was at 44 to 46 Cortland Avenue. So I guess it took up like a couple of different spots. So I don't know how true this is, but I did see this. But apparently Umberto and, uh, and Salida had apparently been lovers before he and his father had immigrated to America from Italy. Don't know if that's true. Like he got married when he came to the U.S., um, but I couldn't find much information about his wife other than that one article saying that she came to visit him. Probably because she don't want to be remembered as the woman who married a man who was in love with his stepsister. It's very true. They lived on South Prior Street for about five years. Umberto and his wife lived 
basically further down the same street uh, where that hotel was. And then about a year prior to all of this happening, Frank married Salita's mother, who is a German widow with three daughters, and they moved to Atlanta to live there. And Salita was the eldest of the three. So like I said, Salita is his stepsister. So apparently Salita's mother was sister-in-law to a very prominent person in New York and was highly connected and reportedly wealthy. Salita lived with Umberto's father and her mother in a like maybe like a block down from where umberto lived with his wife and uh like i said she was 16 at the time that's really all i could find about her um but apparently they had been lovers in the past and then when they like met again the passion was revived and they were able to keep their love a secret from both his wife and their family until they couldn't bear it anymore and since they couldn't get married legally because he was already married they decided to do all this so Two months after this whole thing went down, apparently Salita got married to somebody else. <laughs> so it was a very... Uh, two months? Yes, two months. It was a very quick turnaround. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so uh, it said Salita was married to John... I saw Peyote or Piota. So I don't know which one it is, but... Wait, what was the other guy's name? Like Teeny Peeny or something? Uh, P... <laughs> <laughs> Piantini. Okay. Well, I, like, I like Teeny Peeny better. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he had a Teeny Peeny if she was willing to die over him. That's know? true. He might have had a. I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of something that rhymes very quickly. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I know what you were going for. So, like I said, two months later, she got married to this other guy. Uh, John had been brought in on the 27th by her family to look after her. Or I, I saw he also volunteered, so I don't know which it is. If he volunteered, it's a little creepier because he was a 50-year-old wealthy Italian fruit vendor. Ew. Yeah. So she keep in mind, she's like 16 and he's 50. Oh, yeah. I don't like this. That's not a happy ending. Like, she could have no. been with her, her And he's hot- a fruit vendor. <laughs> that's probably, mean he probably always smells like i don't know pie i guess that's not a bad thing i i would i would marry somebody who smelled like pie <laughs> you're like that's the only qualification i need <laughs> but basically he came in to look after her and he remained by her bedside as she was recovering and helped nurse her back to health so like he did help her and i understand and, uh, and but- uh, to get pussy <laughs> We don't know if that's why he was doing it. Like I said, if he volunteered, then it makes it creepier. But if his if the family brought him in to do that, then it was a little bit different. But yeah, he's 50 years old. She was like 16. He was described as, quote, a well-preserved Italian, unquote, with quote, <laughs> iron gray hair and beard. Ooh, um, not like even a, a salt and pepper look? No. I mean, so, that's, that's sexy. Like, wait, you said salt? You said... It's overhaired, well it preserved. Said, He's probably like um the like Pierce Brosnan, you know, like with okay. that, that that beard yeah. and stuff, like a, yeah. a a zaddy or silver daddy. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Trying to stay hip with the kids. Someone called me a zaddy once, and I was like, "What?" What? And Timmy a thought my zaddy. Yeah, and they my called gay- you what? Yeah, exactly. My my gay best friend thought it was hilarious because like, what's a zaddy? And he's like, "Oh my god, someone called you a zaddy." <laughs> Uh, every time somebody leaves a comment for me I always have to google it like you Gen Z people I'm always like they called me a goat and And I'm like oh okay that's not a bad thing greatest of all time yeah um and i assume they lived happily ever after i don't know i couldn't find anything else but yeah, I no. feel like two years because he probably had a heart attack after that. <laughs> honestly i was thinking the same thing like well life expectancy back then was not very long i'm so surprised he made it to 50 to be honest <laughs> i feel like that's not a happy ending she could have ended up with her 
her her stepbrother, her, but he killed yeah, himself. Her, <laughs> her, 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 her well-hung, teeny-peeny stepbrother. <laughs> well, Umberto apparently just didn't have a good enough aim for that to happen, so... Oh, no, apparently, apparently. Oh no, I guess she had better aim. Okay, that's a good point. No, he shot them both. He shot her first, and then he shot himself. Oh, yeah. So that's yeah. He he messed that up. R.I.P. to the girl I <laughs> used to be. So that was the start of this whole Black Week Carnival of Crimes situation. There is a couple of other things that happen in between this and the next part that we're going to talk about. But this is Brittany's case that she was researching. So I'm going to let her take it away. Wait, give me a second. Wow, I have your notes up and you don't. No, How I have unprepared it up, can you be? But I'm trying to get it on the same screen so I can look at myself. <laughs> Priorities. That's a, that's, that's a mood. We'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. Lewis Redwine. Thank you. Yes. Lewis <laughs> <laughs> Redwine was born in Catawba County and son to Dr. Columbus L. Redwine, a well-known physician and druggist in Atlanta. I want to be known as a druggist. No, I don't. No, I don't. That's illegal. <laughs> I'm assuming a druggist, they mean like a pharmacist or yeah. something like that. They said Oh, wait. Physician's different than a pharmacist. I apologize. <laughs> I don't know how I made it this far. Uh, Lewis Redwine. <laughs> I don't. What, what was that one time you are like amphibian? Oh. <laughs> or you said frogs are ambidextrous. <laughs> I was so confident, too. So confident. And then I was like, yeah, they're not animals. At least at least you can you can laugh at yourself. Not everybody can do that. Yeah. So I don't look as good as me. <laughs> Okay, so Lewis was a charming member of the Atlanta, Georgia social circle. He hosted lavish dinner parties, and I hope he did, like, a murder mystery party, because I think that would be really cool and ahead of his time. Amanda used to do those back in, like, high school. They yeah. were a lot of fun. It's funny, because I basically, I think I invented escape rooms. I would, <laughs> I would basically, like, leave clues that would lead to other clues, except there wasn't a room, but, like, I'd, I'd like, we had woods, like, two acres behind our house. God, and, like, I so- remember that. <laughs> Yeah, and I had terrifying. Them. No, it was awesome. Like I had like I buried a chest, like my dad's chest from the Air Force. Uh, I, I think I asked permission. Uh, like in the woods, and I put <laughs> it a bunch was of surprise. She's gonna know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think and uh, and it was like something weird where it's like you had like a bunch of vials filled with like different liquid, and oh, like yeah, yeah. and you had to mix them together based on the clues, and then the color that the liquids made together. That was the clue of which direction you should go next. Like I was like intense. She I was. was. A, <laughs> I was a theater kid. That yeah. In my high school, and still to this day, I play Barbie dress-up games. <laughs> that explains a lot about the ambidextrous comment. <laughs> it all comes together. Drogogames.net, guys. <laughs> too much, too much giggling for a murder podcast. We must be serious. Murder. <laughs> okay, so Lewis hosted lavish dinner parties. And everyone wanted an invite, and he was also known for wearing, like, super cool clothing that costed so much money, and he resided in the Kimball house, and I think that was, like, a bachelor place. I think that's where, like, single men, that's what I came up with. Wait, mm-hmm. what What was it called? The Kimball house. Well, because, yeah, they had, like, they had these old boarding, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if that's exactly what that place was, but they did have something that was, like, uh, there's another place called the Bachelor's Domain, and they were basically, <laughs> like, houses 
apartment complexes for single unmarried men. So that's think, probably what yeah, that was. The bachelor's was. domain. It sounds like a frat yeah. house. Or a reality show. <laughs> sounds like a dark web website. <laughs> <laughs> the bachelor's domain. So in 1881, he was offered a position as an assistant cashier, assistant at the Gate City Bank, one of the most influential banks of the South. So his annual salary was only like $1,500, and that's like 41000 in today's times. It's not a bad chunk of change. But he realized he couldn't afford, he couldn't afford his lavish lifestyle with just $41,000 a year. So he started <laughs> to embezzle money, which is fair. <laughs> And then he quickly rose in positions within the bank. So he went from assistant cashier to like cashier. So I think that's dope. Live your dreams. (laughs) (laughs) One day the bank examiner was like doing his job, examining accounts. And he realized there was like too many discrepancies in the Lewis account with the bank. So he reported the information to President Hill, who is the president of the bank. I want to be a president of a bank. Not the country. That's too much responsibility. <laughs> just just a bank and everybody's money. Absolutely. On February 22nd in 1893, the president of the bank confronted Lewis about his crimes. And Lewis denied the allegations. He said it wasn't me. Um, and <laughs> instead of going home, he goes to the saloon and he has a stiff drink. Same. So... That's what he did. Sorry, I, when you said it wasn't me, I just started thinking of the Shaggy, Shaggy song. song. It was, it wasn't me. Oh my god! You remember that commercial with was Ashton Kutcher and Mila? Oh yeah, that was so dumb. That was like, so awkward. It was like a, it was like a twenty year old joke. <laughs> poor, poor Ashton Kutcher. He's just out there. He's, he's just, trying. He's trying to. He's trying to. He's still. He's still cute though. <laughs> um. So he goes to this local saloon. He has a stiff drink. And then he decides that he's just going to leave Atlanta because he knows he's guilty. And he goes to his boarding (laughs) house in Pittsburgh uh, where he decided to hide out and go by the name Mr. Lester. Mr. Lester. (laughs) Literally, that's what it said. Okay, so the manhunt for him was like super publicized. They had a reward for like $1,000 for his capture, whoever brought him back. The search was only two days, so. And the police found him, so nobody got the reward. (laughs) R.I.P. But they found him at the the boarding house. And then he was sentenced to prison. And President William McKinley would go on to pardon him. So, you know. So, the money that Lewis embezzled from Gate City Bank totaled to about $100,000, which is $2.7 million in today's time. Uh, that uh, money was never recovered, and the bank had to shut down. And a lot of people lost their money and didn't get it back. So they were pretty mad at Lewis. So when he got, I would be very mad too. <laughs> yeah. So when he got released from, and you know, I was thinking, why didn't they put like, you know, like you're guaranteed two hundred thousand dollars of your money if the banks like lose their money? Why didn't they do I, that then instead of the great waiting for all the banks? Because I imagine people didn't think stuff like this would happen. Because that's the reason why rules get put in place, rules and laws, is that somebody had to do something stupid, and they're like, yeah, you you can't do that. I want to know who (laughs) rode a horse drunk to put in no drunk driving on a horse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you, like, Google, um, just, like, put a state and dumb laws, you'll find a lot of stupid shit. (laughs) In Georgia, it's still illegal to drink raw milk. Ew. 
<laughs> What's be illegal? It That's tastes right. good. Why does it? Why does the government have any business with what I, I want to put in my body? If I want to drink milk straight from a cow the way baby Jesus intended, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna drink it. And just popo. imagine somebody like taking a cow and just sucking straight from like the. I was about to say gutter, but it's utter. <laughs> But you caught it. You, you, you got it. Um, so when Lewis left Atlanta, he would like travel and all that. And then he ended up in Louisiana where he would pass away on April 10th, 1900. That's, that's so long ago. Yeah. The red wine, a red wine family member would bring Lewis's body back to Atlanta and bury him in an unmarked grave because he brought shame to the red wine family. But it was in the red wine lot at the Oakland Cemetery in Atlanta. And that's it. That's all I have. <laughs> he also, so it was only two days because I yeah. thought it was like a huge manhunt. I guess it was, it was, a, it was a huge manhunt that was only 48 hours, but it sounded like the way they described it was like like a catch me if you can situation. And everybody <laughs> it was, was like, like two Redline. days. That's it. And there was also, wasn't there a, the, his lawyer friend killed oh, yeah. himself? I remember I, them talking about that on the tour. I could not find anything about it. Like they didn't, because I looked, there's like nothing on Lewis. I don't remember exactly the involvement. I think it was like maybe his lawyer friend knew about. And then well, he I think like it, killed like, himself. Yeah, yeah, I remember he went and like shot himself in his car or something and it, along it those lines. Like and it seemed like a weird thing of like, oh, did he know where Lewis put the money? Like, why did he kill himself? Was he guilty? Yeah. And like, or and like there was maybe a speculation for like a second, like maybe did Lewis kill him? But yeah, uh, it turns out no, because I guess the dad of the lawyer was there when it happened which is awful like mm-hmm. him and the, i guess him and his dad were getting out of a car or something and then i guess the lawyer's like this is a good time to do it yeah it's not bad <laughs> we 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 laugh because because trauma or at but, trauma or all of it all of the above all of the above <laughs> <Por que no los dos? laughs> anyway amanda it's your turn okay so we have the tale of Julia Force, uh, spelled like the word force. She, I don't know why that was important, but in case you wanted to Google her, don't because nothing will come up. So you're wasting your time That's, and your life yeah. there. That was the struggle with researching this episode. I had to look at like a whole bunch of old archive newspapers to get any of this information. Which is and... actually kind of fun because they're so like saucy and salacious. Like, they are. <laughs> they don't write based on any kind of like journalistic code. Like in, in the one you were talking about, they talked about how she was like gorgeous. And then this oh, yeah, one, yeah. they basically like are like, yeah, she was a butterface. <laughs> um, so Julia Force and see, and another thing too is, I guess a lot of it was hearsay because, again, you know, you can't Google things. And I guess people yeah. didn't go to the records to look things up. So yeah. some of the papers were like, she was 38 at the time. Others say she was 34. Yeah. Either way, imagine somebody who's like late 30s, mid to late 30s and salty about it. In February of 1893, she I'm going to read it from the actual uh, article because it's it's written like a Sherlock Holmes <laughs> situation. I'm excited. So I'm starting like midway. Basically, to give context, Julia Force lived with her. She was the oldest of five siblings. She had two younger brothers and two younger sisters. And her mother, they were socialites, I guess, in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. So they were like the Kardashians? Yeah, they were like really well known and they were really popular. And (laughs) after the father of the family died, the brothers had already moved to Atlanta and they started like a shoe a shoe business a shoe store and they were really successful shoe. At 
Yeah, shoe business. Oh. So they lived in a shoe. No, they um. <laughs> the little old lady who lived in a shoe. Don't don't indulge me. That was a bad joke. I'm sorry. She had she had too many too many children. And so she's like, I got too many goddamn keys. Yeah, because they couldn't fit in the shoe, right? Yeah, That's maybe I shouldn't story. be living in a shoe. Maybe I should have had better life decisions leading maybe up to this point. Maybe I should have to a box. <laughs> maybe I should get, yeah, get, or get like a boot instead of a shoe and then learn to use condoms. Okay, anyway. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> on a complete tangent. Uh, so anyway, yeah, they were from South uh, South Carolina. When the father of the family died, the brothers brought the the sisters and the mom down to live with them. And Julia had been, I don't know, the, the, the accounts differ because the, the family obviously has a different opinion than Julia did. But <laughs> yeah. Julia kind of described herself as like being their slave and they all mistreated her. And, you know, she had to take care of her two younger sisters. Uh, and uh, So classic older sibling. Mm. Listen, <laughs> I okay. understand that. <laughs> It's rough. younger younger siblings are useless. Yeah, they okay. Are. Your life would be incomplete without me. Listen, eh. I was happy for four years. I had four years of happiness before you came along. I don't know why I'm suddenly real southern, but anyway, I guess <laughs> I guess that works for the story. It's like a southern old timey mystery. Imagine Julia Force has been has been stewing Murdered. for years. Murdered. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so the article in the middle of it it picks up. She went uptown and purchased a good pistol and a box of cartridges. She loaded the pistol and laid it aside for use. She then took to say box of condoms. She she did not have a bunch of children in a shoe because Julia Force was no fool. Uh, So that was not obviously not part of the article. She then took from her trunk the statement, which she had been preparing for so many months. She wrote a final entry upon its page, and drawing a heavy line across the bottom of the page, signifying that the end had been reached. She hurriedly left home, went to a friend's house, and left the statement. She then returned home. That statement would later be her written confession. Anyway, I mean, that was, yeah, that was, that was my addition. The time for her deadly revenge had come. She sent Lula Jenkins, the house girl, off on an errand. The cook was first sent to the grocery store, and then after her brothers. With the cook and house girl away, Miss Julia was alone in the house with her victims. No one knew of her fatal purpose. Without the quiver of a muscle, she made her last preparations for the slaughter. Across the hall was her sister Minnie. The young lady was engaged in doing some fancy needlework, and as she worked, she sang. Scarce ten feet away, her murderous, maniacal sister was loading a revolver. Outside, the sunlight gleamed, and the street was full of noise of the noon of day. Uh, Minnie, by the way, was about twenty. Let's see, just so you, just so you're not thinking she murdered like children. They were like in their, they were there in like their like thirties and twenties, or you know, whatever. Miss Julia crept across the hall into the room in which Miss Minnie, all unsuspecting, sat alone. Miss Julia held the pistol behind her. Miss Minnie looked up with an expression of displeasure as her eldest sister entered her room. Her relations with her sister were always of an exceedingly acrid nature, and she greeted her sister's appearance with disgust. <laughs> I feel Minnie. like I'm listening to an audiobook. I know, I know. Well, I was reading, I'm like, this is like so salacious, and how did they know that she was singing? Like, I mean, I guess maybe Julia might have said afterwards, but... That, um, or they just made all this right, up. Right, exactly. Like, this is like very like... <laughs> and the way that they like make her be like this murderous... I mean, she was a murderous monster, I guess, but she wasn't a monster, she's just... Uh, anyway, she, uh, she was just an older sister, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway... She's like, Minnie, why did you tell the storekeeper not to sell me any more goods? Asked Miss Julia venomously, which uh, we'll all get to later. But basically, Alfred, her brother, 
banned her. Like, he went to all the different stores and was like, don't give my sister Julia any credit. So back in the day, you didn't have credit cards. You would, like, have credit with a store. Yeah. And so basically she showed up to a store and they were all like, oh, sorry, you're, you're cut off. So anyway. I'd be mad, too. She asked her sister, she's like, why'd you tell the storekeeper not to sell me any more, any more goods? The young lady started to reply, but before she could do so, Julia threw the pistol from behind her and placing it alongside Miss Minnie's head, fired. The young lady dropped to the floor with a groan. She writhed a little in the, in the death agony. Blood spurted from the bullet hole. Julia bent over her dying sister and watched her expiring struggles. While she stood over her with the smoking revolver in her, in her hand, Miss Minnie died. After being shot, she never spoke once. Miss Julia then locked the door and walked upstairs to Miss Florence's room. The invalid was standing behind, beside the fireplace in her nightgown. Julia was in a terrible mood, and Miss Florence received her coldly. Julia spoke to her sick sister roughly. Julia, will you leave the room, Miss Florence said. Julia's eyes gleamed with an expression of deadly hatred. She made a move toward her trembling sister. Miss Florence started toward her bed. Weak as a babe from long sickness, she tottered as she walked. I shouldn't be making fun of that. It's just, it's just the dramatic way that they wrote it is making me laugh. Yeah. Behind her came her sister, bent on her terrible revenge. The younger, the younger lady reached the bedside in safety. Florence had turned as she reached her bed to see if her sister was leaving her. Julia was beside her, the fatal pistol in her hand. Florence threw up her hands. There was a sharp report, and Miss Florence fell back upon the white sheets with a bullet in her brain. Oh, Diane. Julia saw the blood stream from her sister's head and left the room. She locked the door behind her and walking downstairs and out of the house, she made her way to the police headquarters. There was no undue haste. She was calm. Chief of Police Connolly testified that when he met Miss Florence, Miss Force. I can't read. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I can't read. Um, so when he met Miss Force in his office, she refused to say anything to him about the crime or who committed it. Soon afterward, however, she unpinned from her throat a breastpin containing her father's picture and handed it to him, saying she was unworthy to wear it. But yeah, basically she like walked to the police station, was like, um, hey, so I've committed a crime. And they were like, no, you didn't stop messing with us. Because she was so calm that they didn't believe her. And it wasn't until the brother, uh, Alf- I, be- I believe it was Alfred, came running back being like, my sister's been murdered. Uh, that they were like, oh, oh, Wild. shit. <laughs> like, oh, she really did commit the crime. Yeah. There was the motive, which I kind of mentioned earlier. Okay, so here I had the notes from. So Minnie was 28 or 25, depending on which article you read. And uh, Mm -hmm. Florence was age 32 or 30. And they said Minnie was killed instantly, but Florence, the second sister, uh, apparently lingered in great agony for two hours. Yeah, that sucks. So, yeah. Basically, she wrote a a thousand page, or not thousand page, sorry. I was about to say, that's (laughs) a lot of pages. She was mad. I mean, remember in the remember in the thing it said that she'd been like writing it for months. So it's like you know she like and she brought it to her friend's house to drop to drop it off. I guess before she did the crime, Um, it's her manifesto, which makes me almost wonder if she thought about potentially killing herself and then chose not to. Because like, why else would she need to leave it? In the in the paper, it said she received every situation that brotherly love could prompt. She had always been regarded as queer, was willful, and would become melancholy and wretched for days at a time over some fancied slight. She was of a, an extremely jealous nature, and it was a favorite delusion of hers that her mother and two younger sisters were her enemies and were continually plotting to make her unhappy. 
<laughs> and the way they describe the house is so like shitty. <laughs> okay. Because they're just like they basically were like the house was wonderful. Everybody was so great. The two lovely sisters, the mother, and the you know the brothers who took care of the fatherless. What did they say? They said like fatherless. Um, fatherless sisters and widowed mother but like he was such a like <laughs> such a saint and then uh and then says the only shadow that hovered over the happy home was that thrown by the peculiar delusion of the eldest sister which was as unfounded as it was unreasonable on all other subjects she was perfectly sane but her mad idea that her own mother and sisters were against her poisoned all her life and made her morose and discontented and then it grew upon her to such an extent that she became insane like they keep reiterating all the time this bitch was crazy but like yeah that'd be thing, she's fun they don't think there's any justification for being upset in this circumstance i mean to, I mean, to be fair upset enough to murder yeah i don't That's... i don't think i don't think there is justification but i don't think i don't think i mean she was but she was saying like she like she she kept saying no i i know what i did like i i, I chose yeah. to do this like and they're like oh she must be crazy which i guess is better for her because yeah. you know if, if they thought she wasn't crazy they'd try to hang her so anyway she, in her confession it's oh it says it was probably about ten thousand words in length and so the friend at the time knew nothing about its contents she's just like i don't know here's a thing from julia i don't i don't i'm assuming it's relevant <laughs> And so she said, I mean, there's just snippets from it, but she said, they all loved my sisters better than they did me. The story goes, of course, they were younger while I was growing older. I'm like, well, yeah, that's how time works. But um, <laughs> everything in the house was for Sister Minnie or for Sister Florence. A new dress or a new ornament would always look so well on them without ever once referring to how it would look on me. I had the trouble of helping to raise them because I was the oldest and it made my blood boil to see them preferred before me in the love of brothers and mother. I could not stand it. That's no. usually how it works. <laughs> I mean, but it's just like, yeah, it's like the babies always get spoiled. Like, chill out, lady. <laughs> and it says, let's see. After summing up a great many instances of imaginary wrong, she goes on, I was willing to bear my private griefs in private. Well, that's again, that's how private works. <laughs> I did not wish to harrow the public with the story of my personal griefs, but when public disgrace is piled upon me by notifying merchants not to credit me, the limit of endurance has been reached. I'm going to use that from now on. <laughs> the limit of endurance has been reached. Um... <laughs> When the clerks along the streets can thus point at me, for what have I to live? Just think of it. I am thus marked out, while my sisters are favored and fondled and petted. I'm like, well, that sounds like they're not having a great time either, then. <laughs> yeah. Public disgrace is too much, and I can't, will not, stand it. It is enough, she writes. I have borne all I can bear. May God avenge, and for every insult that has been given me, heap the crushing weight of insult, mortification, and suffering, moral and physical, upon the heads of those scoundrels and traitors, meaning her brothers. Oh, my father, help your child. And she said she prayed for her deliverance and added, but it had to be. So they take her to court. And this is kind of crazy because... I mean, maybe I'm misreading it, but it seemed like the paper that s announced the crime said today and it was February 20. It said February 23rd. And then when you actually go to the tr court, I believe it was February mm -hmm. 26th that she has her like her, her trial. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that I, was I mean, the... was it a multiple day trial? But, but I'm saying like, you know, think about nowadays, like you don't have a crime and then three days later go to trial. Like, yeah. it's usually, like, a year or whatever, you know? Like, it takes... Well, that's also because it's super backed up these days because okay. people cray-cray. People, people so be killing too many people. 
So, I mean, it's possible that it did happen like three days later. Okay. Well, she had, she went to trial and in the trial, she kept being like, I'm, I'm really not crazy. And they're like, <laughs> oh, but you are. And you're also not attractive. Where was that? I I feel like That's I, I feel funny. Like, <laughs> it's a little. I, funny. I feel like I, I skipped over that. Let's see. Uh, so it says, uh, like like there was like headlines that says, uh, the murderess, a physically perfect woman, but queer. Uh, and then other times was saying like, wait, I, I said it earlier. I oh I think I did say it earlier, but it was like, um, oh yeah, she is about thirty four years old and is a fine specimen of physical womanhood, though not beautiful in face. It's just like, why is that relevant to the story? But uh, all right, yeah, they're just like, just so you get the, just so you get the picture. She's not hot. Maybe that's why she killed. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's kind of how they seem to phrase it. Like in all the whole thing, they're like these young, beautiful, virginal sisters and the old spinster uggo sister. You know, like who's who's salty about not having any babies or husbands? And it's like, I don't know. Yeah, and she must be crazy. She must be be hysterical and have have her lady problems uh she has a period too much she, yeah she a constant menstrual flow <laughs> everybody's gonna unsubscribe from your podcast after this one i'm sorry it's fine this is the last episode Great. Of the season, so. <laughs> going out with a bang uh literally okay in the court it's it says it is a certainty that a verdict of insanity will come within 15 minutes after the jury retires, Ooh. which, as you guys always say, like, if it takes a short amount of time, then it's like, yeah. yeah. I guess I guess insanity is not guilty, though. Um, I mean, back then, I wouldn't want to go to an insane asylum. Yeah, that's Yeah, true. I would not either. And I think that's, so that's kind of what people think is that they're like, yeah, she probably should have gone to jail because she kept saying, like, I'm not crazy. <laughs> I did yeah. this in sound mind. Uh, which I would not say because, like, you, she was up for potentially being hanged. Yeah. I, I don't like, know if it's eh, like a... Take me. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the way she wrote the in the letter, you know, she talked about how she's like, you know, it's not worth living if I can't get store credit, which, like, you know, same, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I can't mood. get that $1,000 credit card, I don't right. want it. Right. It's just like, I, I have a feeling that she probably was considering maybe killing herself. So she probably was not fully sane. Like, as much as she thinks she was in her own, yeah. as much as she thinks she thinks she had her wits about her, I'm pretty sure she was probably dealing with something. Anyway, when it describes her in court, it says, The prisoner, dressed in a claret-colored street costume. I'm like, what? what is a claret-colored? I actually should have looked that up. Let's see. Hold on, I got Somebody, you guys. Yeah, look up C-L-A-R-E-T. And also, like, just street costume. Is it just, like, you know, you just got to wear your, like, casual clothes? Claret is red wine from Bordeaux. Ooh, so it's a deep purplish red color. So she was, like, wearing this a beautiful wine-colored street costume. I don't know what that means. Like, uh, yes. I'm, not sure if that, if, I'm not sure if that actually is, like, just, you know, casual wear or if that's, like, another type of thing. Anyway. Um, so that was her street dress. Uh, she could not get store credit to buy her court dress. So, mm. <laughs> I mean, that would make sense. Yes. So it says she walked in with that. She had her face heavily veiled, walking into the courtroom, leaning on the arm of her aunt, Mrs. Connolly. The two women took seats in the center of the room, immediately opposite the judge. Miss Force closed her eyes, rested her hands on the arms of the chair, and sighed. <laughs> she's over. She's over it. She's like, Ugh, can we get this over with? So this part was interesting to me. It says this gray-haired woman. It's like uh, she was she was like thirty four to thirty eight. Like I guess she lived she lived a long life. Maybe maybe her sisters were like you know Cinderella's stepsisters. Her, you know, <laughs> stressed her out. 
This gray-haired woman with a strong but stern face was brought before the jury on February 28th. Okay, so it'd be five days after. Uh, and and okay. heard a writ, a writ read. Oh my gosh. <laughs> a writ read. <laughs> that's a, that's a uh, tongue twister yeah. right there. Uh, in which the members of her family expressed her, their beliefs that she was insane. That must have been fun to just have your whole family <laughs> talk about you in court being like, bitch crazy. Um, <laughs> so Mrs. Force then testified that her daughter, Julia, had not been. Oh, also, this is not probably not relevant, but the mother's name was also Julia. Okay. Which is interesting because usually it's like the father names their kid after them. But like, yeah, she was yeah. Julia and then her daughter was Julia. So Mrs. Force then testified that her daughter Julia had not been mentally balanced since October 16th, 1892. That's which is very specific. Such a specific date. <laughs> she said on which day she had acted very strangely and altogether like an insane person. Which is just like, she well. just like marked it on the calendar like the day Julia went crazy. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Finally, Mr. Albert W. Force testified that his sister's mind was unsound, that all her grievances were imaginary, and that for some days before the tragedy, he had fully expected to be shot down every time he went home to dinner or opened the door. He also pointed out that one of his brothers was in an insane asylum. Ooh. See, that's weird. See, that's what that's the problem with these articles. They said they said that they didn't mention that there was another brother. So apparently there was another brother. So he, uh, yeah, one of their other brothers was in an insane asylum and his aunt's mind had been at one time unbalanced. So he was trying to imply that craziness ran in the family. In regards to the, the sister's complaint that storekeepers had been instructed not to give her credit, he said he told them not to do it because he said he didn't think she was responsible. Which, to be fair, you know, she then went on and shot her two sisters. She probably wasn't the most balanced person in the world. I mean, yeah. It's true. The jury then questioned Miss Force, and in reply, she said that she was not insane, that her family had always wronged her, and that, though she had a high temper, she had ever tried to do right. Uh, this is all quoted from the article. Mm -hmm. The jury declared her insane, at which she protested loudly, saying, I am not insane! <laughs> Fine. I mean, I, I added the inflection. She probably said it very calmly, uh, which sounds even crazier. You're Finally, right. on, Mar on March 9th, the grand jury indicted her for murder. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, this is where people were like, yeah, no, she wasn't crazy, but they think that the family was like, wanted to spare themselves the embarrassment. Mm -hmm. Or no, I think either they were trying to spare themselves the embarrassment or they were trying to humiliate her. Mm -hmm. Probably a little bit of both. But um, also, this was a huge case because, like, people back in South Carolina, like, you know, because, again, they had been really popular back there. Everybody had heard about this for, like, you know, the next state over. Yeah. Uh, and this is a big deal. So I think they were trying to, like, get it to go away. So I think also maybe that's why they weren't, like, pushing to get her hung or whatever. Yeah. Not hung like Mr. Teeny Peeny in the first story. <laughs> <laughs> that's a callback. Okay. So... She was sentenced to be uh, to be put in the oh no where did, I wrote it down sorry my notes are all over the place it's okay well she went to a crazy person hospital she went to a, a, an insane a, asylum an, an insane asylum in Milledgeville Georgia and she explained that she would like uh, occupation while in the asylum and she was actually a trained nurse it doesn't say when she did that like if she was you know when they were in South Carolina or whatever but apparently mm -hmm. she graduated from a protestant episcopal convent in new york mm -hmm. so she was like hey you know put me to work so she actually had a pretty fulfilling life at the convent and she had a job and she felt useful she was helping people people seemed to like her oh, that's good. and she befriended the matron there who's like you know the head of the head nurse or the head of all the yeah. the, the people and uh she ended up being buried with her oh 
Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, not like in the same grave, but like she was like, hey, yeah, you can, you can, you know, be in my like family, family plot. Yeah. And she actually happened to be the granddaughter of a former Georgia governor, David, David Bridey Mitchell. So Julia got to kind of live in like a hoity-toity celebrity spot. So, yeah, they're buried in the governor's lot. Uh, not at Oakland, though. They're, uh, they're buried. Oh, also, it says uh, it was the Georgia State Sanitarium in Baldwin County where she was um, okay. institutionalized. But, oh, yeah, the cemetery is Memory Hill in Milledgeville, Georgia. But Julia's sisters, brothers, and parents were all laid to rest in Oakland Cemetery. And that's why she was um, her story was on the tour, even though she's not buried at Oakland Cemetery. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, also, the headlines are always, like so dramatic like oh yeah one of the ones for um my case was unholy love (laughs) yeah exactly it's like they they sound like dateline episode titles a southern family secret exactly exactly (laughs) that's what this one was this is a southern family secret we have we have a man a maniac's hatred that had been nourished for years crazy (laughs) julia force shoots and kills her sisters oh Oh, also the um the I guess psychiatrist or I don't think they had that at the time, but the doctor who mm-hmm. um, talked to her declared her a monomaniac, which a monomaniac. kind of is in the family of like paranoia. It's not really a diagnosis anymore, but yeah. it's a person exhibiting an exaggerated or obsessive enthusiasm for or preoccupation with one thing. So, you know, her obsession, I guess, with her hatred of her sisters. Mm-hmm. And she said, she killed her sisters, not her brothers, because the brothers, she felt the brothers were treating her badly because of the sisters. Yeah. So she thought that they were the reason. I guess. Like, I don't really know Well, she was probably always why. compared to the sisters, so it would make more sense right. for her to kill the sisters versus the brothers. And also, you know, the sisters were home. Like, you know, the one was sickly, and so she was home all the time. And the other one, I don't know what she did, but I imagine she's a lady in the, you know, 1890s. She probably didn't have, like, work to go to. So the brothers were, like, running their shoe store. So it was probably a lot easier. And who knows? There might have been the vindictive aspect of, oh, you love them more than me? Okay. Well, I'll hurt hurt you. Oh, you're prettier than me? Yeah, it's like, I'll hurt hurt my sisters because I hate them, but I'll also hurt you guys. By killing my sisters, yeah. Yeah. There was some articles that, or there was an article... And I think it was her obituary that mentioned that she had killed her mother, but that is not true. She did not kill her. Yeah, if her mother, mother testified at trial. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, to be fair, I don't think the people who write obituaries are like investigative investigative journalists. Like, I don't <laughs> think he like went through all of her life. No, I like... think the people who write obituaries are like family. Well, at least nowadays, yeah. I don't know. I don't know back then, the but back I know then. the family has to write the obituary now. That wouldn't make any sense then, because her mother, like everybody, died. Well, actually, no, let's see. When did she die? She died in 1916. Okay, then, yeah. That's not even remotely close. <laughs> well, let's see. Because her mother, it says her mother died in 1900. Her brother, Albert, died in 1917. And her brother, George, died in 1921. So, Albert, the brothers could have still written her obituary. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Maybe they're saying that she killed the mother as in, like, of heartbreak. Yeah, that makes oh, sense. Yes, that's possible. They had to be melodramatic. I mean, who knows? Maybe it wasn't them that wrote it. But, you know, if it was family, that would... That would make sense. Because, like, what family member would write that and not remember, like, oh, Julia didn't kill her mother. Her mother lived yeah. for, like, you know, seven years afterwards. Yeah. So, anyway, that is the story of Julia Force and her sisters. Thank you for putting up with my, my bad reading and my southern accent. 
It's all good. So yeah, that was that was Black Week. I mean, there's like I said, there's definitely a couple of other things that happened in that time frame. Um, we have some stuff in the sources where you can learn a little bit more about that, particularly. I think there there are some books that talk about it. So if you are interested in learning more about it, I highly recommend doing so because it's definitely just a crazy time in Atlanta history. So thank you guys for tuning in. Do you, any of you guys have anything that you want to add before we hop off for for Halloween fun? Trick or treat. Don't do murders. Don't 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 murder. Don't murder. Um, our Patreon should be live when we make the website live. And if you're interested in hearing the story about how I got shot, you have to subscribe to the Patreon. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we talked about it before, didn't we? But well, in details. In depth. Oh. Yes. Like you get to like, you, you provide photos of like yes. the x-rays of the bullet yes. and stuff. And my so bullet hole. If you want to hear... <laughs> you, yeah. you, you, you auction off the bullet for the top Patreon subscriber. Yes. The it bullet is, is still inside the, of her. Um, top Patreon tier which is called Do I Need Juvederm? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> All of our tiers are named after inside moments from the podcast episodes. <laughs> so Subscribe to that tier if you want to hear about the story of me getting shot in detail with a picture. Yes, so we will go ahead and get all that information out to you here within the next couple of weeks. And then season two will be here before you know it. This is us signing off for season one. Thank you guys so much for listening and for joining us over this past season. It has been an honor to have you guys as our audience. uh, I can't believe we started it in May. I know. So it's like we have definitely come a long way since May. So thank you all. That's that's because of you. I guess I'll do my social media spiel. <laughs> we are on Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We are on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. We are on TikTok at Shockingly Wicked. We are on YouTube at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. And we are also on Facebook as a Facebook group. It's a private group. You just have to click join and you should be automatically accepted. Just search up Shockingly Wicked Podcast and you will find us. And then if you have case suggestions for next season, email those to us at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com. If you have suggestions for Patreon, email Brittany at Brittany at ShockinglyWickedPodcast.com. If you have production questions, email me at Brianna at ShockinglyWickedPodcast.com. And that should be everything. And we will see you next year. Bye! Bye! Bye!